Hey, don't you love that song? Is that we have a Savior in whom there is forgiveness of sin. You know, we don't need to live a life carrying sin, but that we know that we have a God that's in that we can go to, we can find what our hearts need, which is what? Forgiveness of sin. Can we give it up for the Lord one more time? And I'm glad that we sang that song because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, forgiveness of sin. So let me take the time to welcome everyone. My name is Omar, and I serve as a lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And um, I want to take the time to also welcome the campuses right now joining us live all throughout Miami, as well as everyone online. And at the start of this year, we started a journey through the Gospel of Mark. And we are on our third week of this series called Miracle Worker. And we have been seeing how when Jesus did miracles on this earth, it wasn't just for show, it wasn't just to do a miracle, but there was always a purpose. There was always a reason, there was always a lesson that he wanted to teach us. And so today we're going to be learning and seeing and studying the healing of the paralytic. And so I'm ready to dive into God's Word. Are you are too? Yeah? Yeah, so am I. And so wherever you find yourself, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and you can just follow along with me as I read. Listen to what God's Word says. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together. There were many gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Don't you love reading that? He was preaching the word to the people. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. In other words, this man came to him with a great need. In fact, everyone say need with me. Everyone say need. Come on. Need, yeah. This man came to the Lord and he had a need that he needed met. That is God's word. You can go and take a seat, everybody, at all campuses. You know, this weekend we were able to dedicate across all campuses and many of our services, we were able to dedicate a children to the Lord. And so can we give it up for those families who did that? And congratulations if you are here and we're part of that family. It's always a special thing. I remember when, I, uh, when we dedicated my daughter Camila last year, it was a special time for us as well. And uh, since then, she has continued to grow. And it, just recently, we actually celebrated her second birthday. In fact, take a look at her. Yeah, that's her. And uh, she's in that mini stage, and so she has those mini ears. Yeah, but she is growing up, and she's there getting ready to go to see Grandma. But family, listen, do not let this cute, innocent-looking little girl fool you. Yeah, don't let her fool you. Because she has entered what we are calling, what we call the terrible twos. Yeah. And if you have children in this stage, or maybe you had children in this stage, or perhaps listen, you are a grandparent, and now you are dealing with a child in their terrible twos, you know that this is a hard season. And the reason it's so difficult is because it's filled with tantrums and, crowd, and crying, right? Man, a lot of crying and a lot of tantrums. And family, the reason for this is because when they come to you as a parent, in their little mind, they have a great need. A need that if it's not met, their lives are going to fall apart. 
And so when they come before you, they really can't express it completely yet. And so they resort to what we call tantrums and crying. In fact, just so you can see what we do on a daily basis at our home, just take a look at this video. Yeah, that's a sneak peek. And I, I can assure you, there were no children harmed in the making of these videos, okay? I need to say that. But folks, here's what I've learned through these terrible twos. That this season is not only hard for the children, right? Because in their mind, they have a need that needs to be met. And if it doesn't, like I said before, it seems like their world is falling apart. But it's also difficult for parents because when that child comes to you, comes to me as a father, listen, I know that they have a need that needs to be met. And family, I want to meet that need. I want to be able to do that. But more often than not, there's always a greater need that they need to be met, that needs to be met. So for example, just a few days ago, she wanted to go outside and she wanted to go down the slide. And here comes a tantrum. And she starts crying, holding off to the sliding door in the back, throwing herself, kicking and screaming, and you know the whole deal. But folks, at that moment, I knew that that was a need that she had, and eventually I would, I would meet that need. But first of all, I knew that there was a greater need that she had, and that need is that she needed rest, that she needed, her little body needed rest for all day long. She hadn't had a nap. It was 2 o'clock, and she needed to rest. But you see, as a father, when my child comes to me, even though they have needs, listen, I know as a good father that she has a greater need. And her greater need, that greatest need in her life, listen, always comes first to her father. And family, let me just bring all that over to our time together because what an image of our heavenly father. And by that, I mean that just like me as her father, I know she has needs, but I'm always going to meet her greatest need first. Listen, just like that, and here's the big idea for today. Listen, our Heavenly Father, He knows that you and I have needs. And listen, He wants to meet those needs. He cares about those needs. But listen, our Heavenly Father, before He does that, our Father in Heaven will always meet our greatest need first. Who knows, maybe you're sitting out here right now watching us. You're thinking, well, Omar, what is that need of mine? What's the greatest need that I have in my life? Because I've walked in here today, I've sat down, and there's a lot of things I have going on in my life. I have family issues, some financial stuff, issues with my health. There's issues going on in my life. So what is the greatest need in my life? Well, we're going to find out from Mark chapter 2, all right? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. You can also fire up your Christ Fellowship apps and follow along there with us. And today I have two thoughts for us on what is our greatest need. You all ready? Write this down as point number one. Our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. That's our greatest need. Now, let's go to the passage for today and see how it develops. 
It says, and when he returned to Capernaum, speaking of Jesus, right? After some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So it's evident that right at that point, he had just going around, finished going around the, the area of Galilee, right? He went to different towns and villages, and his fame was already growing. He was doing miracles. He was teaching. So people knew who he was. And so he returned to his home, his ministerial home, which was in Capernaum. And most likely, he was at Peter's home. And folks, while he's there, he is, he is teaching, and everyone's pressed around him. And so listen to what happens next. It says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the, they removed the roof above him. Now, stop right there for a moment because even though this is a simple statement, they removed the roof above him, this was anything but, but simple. In fact, this was a major endeavor. This was actually huge demolition. See, in those days, the, the common home was a one-story home, and around the outside, there was a stair that would go outside to the, to, the, to the flat roof. In fact, whenever I go visit my father in the island of Cyprus, and we go around the villages and the outskirts, their so, homes are still built like this, one-story flat roof with a, with, a, with, a, with a stair that goes to the top. And so the way that they would construct these roofs is that there would be some large beams, four or five large beams, they would stuff each of these, the sides of these beams with uh, rocks and sticks and, and thatch. They would just pack it in there. Then they would get this really thick mud and they would put it all over that roof, all over those beams. And then afterwards, they would put tiles on top of that roof. And so family, when it says that they made an opening, that they began to destroy that roof. Listen, that was a big endeavor. This probably took 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. This took a long time. And so listen to what happens next. It says, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, imagine the scene for just a moment. Because everyone there is looking at Jesus, right? And all of a sudden, there is a paralytic that is slowly but surely just dropped right in front of the Lord. And at that moment, isn't all eyes were on Jesus, right? They were looking at him. They were expecting for him to do something about this. And just imagine what was going on in the mind of this man who's just laying in front of him. He's probably locking eyes with Jesus, and he's hoping that Jesus could heal him. And he's thinking in his mind, if I could finally walk, I could finally have a regular life, I could, you know, have a job, I could have a family, I could be more independent, I could just, it would change my life forever. And folks, perhaps you're here today and you find yourself in the same situation. Because maybe, maybe a friend or a coworker or a neighbor, a family member brought you here today and even though you may not be in the same predicament that this man was physically, perhaps there's an issue going on in your life right now. Something that you walked in right now, it's consuming your mind, and you're hoping that somehow, some way, God could do something for you. And so with all eyes on the Lord, listen to what happens next. 
It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, you're what? A little louder than that. Your sins are what? Forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, the moment that the Lord uttered that phrase, your sins are forgiven, I'm sure there was a long pause. And I'm sure that that poor man lying in front of him was looking up to the Lord. And he was wondering, does Jesus understand that I'm paralyzed? Does he realize that my, that my legs don't work? Does he realize that my four friends made this huge ordeal to bring me here? Does he not realize what's going on? And f- because he's probably wondering, like, what good is forgiveness of sin if my legs don't work? Right? What good is forgiveness of sin if I can't walk, if I can't live a normal life? And folks, I think sometimes in our lives, when we go through painful moments in our lives, I think we might get stuck in that same way of thinking. Because what good is forgiveness of sin, right, if my marriage is still struggling? What good is forgiveness of sin if I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills at the end of the month? What good is forgiveness of sin if that family issue with my child is still an issue? What good is forgiveness of sin if my business is going downwards? What good is forgiveness of sin if I still had the same chronic illness, this disease, if I still have this cancer? What good is forgiveness of sin? So imagine that you are maybe perhaps had the opportunity to sit down face to face with the Lord today. And you're able to sit down with him to share a little bit of what's happening in your life, the crisis in your life, the concerns in your life. And so you sit down with the Lord and you're ready to share with him what's happening in your life. He says, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Listen, chances are you will be disappointed because you sit right in front of them, and sometimes what happens is that we just want relief to that momentary thing that's happening in your life right now. And so the question is, why would Jesus, right, the moment that this paralytic is laying in front of him, why in the world would he bring up this whole concept of sin? Wasn't to understand why he does that. It's important for us to have a clear understanding of what sin is. In fact, write this down as letter A. One way of putting it, one way of describing it, and there's many ways, but one way of doing that is that sin is rebellion against God. You know, when God created us, he gave us his good and perfect law, his good and perfect will. And that if we would abide from what he says, what his will is for us, if we would abide by that, listen, not only would we experience the blessings of obedience, the blessings of being in his will, but we would also experience fellowship with God. But folks, the moment that you and I broke God's law and essentially rebelled against God, against God. Listen, the Bible calls that rebellion. The Bible calls that disobedience before God. The Bible calls that sin. And scripture is very clear that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? 
Listen, it doesn't matter how moral you think you are right now. No matter what your background is, what your traditions you've done, listen, God's word is very clear. It's an indictment on every person, including myself. Listen, we have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are exempt. And family, it's important to understand when it comes to this concept of sin, that it's a concept that it only applies between us and God. In other words, if The word sin is a unique word that describes our rebellion, our disobedience of God. Without God, there is no concept of sin. In fact, let me just give you a quick, uh, go back to the Old Testament to help us further understand what sin is. You know, many of us have heard of King David. And uh, King David at one point in his life was up in the roof of his palace. And he saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. Many have heard of us as heard this story. And he eventually, make a long story short, she was a married woman. He commits adultery with her. And after that, from that relationship, it turns out she was pregnant. And so David now starts to uh, deceive and try to conceal things, all these things, so that it would not get out. But that didn't work. And so his next step was to send Uriah, her husband, to the front of the battle line. And essentially, he murders Uriah. And family, when he is confronted with all that he has done, the lying, deception, adultery, murder, all these different things, he goes before the Lord in Psalms 51 and he utters his confession and listen to what he says because it's really, really insightful to what sin is. Listen to what it says, to what he said. He said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now notice, David doesn't say, I have sinned against Uriah. He doesn't say, I have sinned against Bathsheba. What does he say? He said, against you, O Lord, and only you have I sinned. Why? Because adultery, lying, murder, deception are all violations, not of Uriah's law, not of Bathsheba's law, but of the law of the living God. And so the moment that he did that, listen, he knew that he had sinned only against God. And see, all of them were created by God. But there was only one lawgiver, right? There was only one God. Imagine, for example, you have two boys at home. And you walk into the room and you tell one boy, hey, do not punch the other boy. And you go, go, you go back to the kitchen. And when you come back, one is crying because that little boy punched the other one. Who did that, that little boy disobey? It was not his brother, it was who? It was you, the parent. You see how that works? And so what happens here is that really David is confessing that sin is something that we do before God. And family, here is why, oh, by by the way, whenever we say I have sinned against someone else, what you're really saying is I have violated God's law in terms of my relationship to that other person. Does that make sense? And so here's why Jesus... When this paralyzed man is laying right in front of him, here's the reason that he brings up this, the sin of this man. is because he knew that that sin of that man was leading him to an eternity without God, to eternal death. In fact, listen to what God's word says about those of us who die and never obtain and experience forgiveness of sin. Listen to what it says. 
It says that they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. In other words, the consequence of every single sin that that paralytic ever committed, every time he lusted about with that girl when she passed by, every time he dishonored his father and mother, every time he lied to get that one thing, Every time that he coveted in his heart his neighbor's property, every single time that he, at the consequence of all of those sins, was it was going to lead that man to an eternity without God to experience eternal death. See, family, what good is it if Jesus healed that man and he was able to walk, but then he would walk into an eternity without God? See, what good is it if Jesus intervened and did something in your life, but you stand up, you still spend eternity without Christ? And so family, listen, because sin is directly an offense against God and only God, write this down as letter B, only God then can forgive sin. Only God. In fact, let's go back to the story and listen to what the religious leaders said or thought as they were hearing this. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why did this man speak like this? He's, a, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but what? But God alone. And so in their hearts, listen carefully, they were thinking, who does Jesus think he is? Is he a blasphemer? And family, do not miss the point because this is the point of this whole story. Because either Jesus is a blasphemer, okay, a blasphemer, or he is God in the flesh who can forgive sins. Listen, there is no middle ground. Either he's a blasphemer or he is a God who can forgive sins. And so here's the tension of the story. How can at that moment with, G with everyone looking at Jesus... How can he prove that he's not a blasphemer, but he's in fact the only one that can forgive sins because he's God himself? How can he, how can he prove that? Well, write this down as big number two. Miracles prove that Jesus had the authority to forgive. In fact, listen to how the text goes, how the story goes. It says, and immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves to them, why do you question, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has what, church family? Authority. What is it? Authority. authority. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Amen. We can clap for that. And folks, just so you have a, even a better understanding, a visual of what that must have been like, just take a look at this video.
Uh, whose authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you, and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Man, don't you love watching that? And family, listen, the reason that this man's life changed forever, it's not because he could walk again, but more importantly, write this down as letter A, is because forgiveness brings healing to, uh, to our soul. You know, the greatest need of this paralytic was not the revival of his limbs, but it was the renewal of his soul. And folks, this renewal of his soul, this, this, this renewal only could come through the knowledge that he knew that he had been forgiven of his sins. You know, sin has a way of weighing our hearts. Sin has a way of making our hearts dark and heavy, leading us to an eternity without God. And so what this man needed most was not, to be, was not the strengthening of his legs, but the strengthening of his heart. Amen? Because in spite of what was happening in his life, even if he never got healed, 
he knew he was right with God. He knew that now he had a relationship with God. He knew that he had peace with God. He knew that he had a future with God. He knew now that he was a son of God. And folks, listen, can I tell you, listen, that's exactly what you and I need. Because the greatest needs that we have, listen, is to be forgiven of our sins. Now, I know that the temporary issues in our lives could be overwhelming, right? They could almost cloud us to such a degree, but do not miss what your greatest need is, is that our greatest need is to experience the forgiveness of sin, to know we have peace with God, to know we are right with God, that whatever's going to take place in this world, it doesn't matter anymore because we are right with God and we will spend eternity with him. You see, that is our greatest need. And here is how forgiveness of sin is able to bring healing to our soul. Write this down, letter B. It's because forgiveness, listen carefully, forgiveness absorbs the pain of sin. You know, a great way of understanding forgiveness is that forgiveness is the absorption of pain instead of giving it. Now, don't miss this. Right? Justice gives pain, but forgiveness what? Absorbs pain. Imagine, just think of those moments, that moment in your life where someone really wronged you, when someone really hurt you, and you forgave them. What did you do at that moment? You absorbed the pain that they cost you. You absorbed the pain that they brought upon you. And folks, listen, the reason that Jesus can forgive you of your sin your past sins, your present sins, your future sins is because he already absorbed the pain for you. He already took the consequence of your sin. He already paid the price for your sin. And where did he pay the price? Very simple. He paid the price at the cross. You know, the Bible says that the, when the moment that Jesus Christ was being nailed to that cross, the Father put all of your sin, all of your shame, Every mistake you've made, everything you've done, he put it right on, on his son, and his son took the price for you. He absorbed the pain. He absorbed the consequence of every single one of your sins, minor sins or major sins. He absorbed it. He took it on. He suffered for you. You see, family, at the cross, the Lord took and absorbed the pain of that adultery. At the cross, he took the pain of that divorce, of that broken marriage. At the cross, listen, he took the pain and the suffering of all your addictions, of all of our mistakes. At the cross, he took the pain and the suffering of your sexual sins. He took the pain of that abortion you had. He took the pain of that lying, of all those lies. He took the pain what, of all your jealousy, of every mistake you've done, of that one thing you're so ashamed of that you did to the person. He took the pain. He took the suffering. He absorbed the consequences of all of our sins. So listen, because he paid the price, listen, listen, he is able to forgive you. He already paid the price. He absorbed that pain. 
You know, many people struggle with forgiveness. Maybe you're watching right now. You're struggling with that. And the reason you're struggling with that is because you feel you're not worthy of forgiveness. Oh, what I did was too, too, too much. Listen, if you think that you're not worthy of forgiveness, what you're pretty much saying is that the cross of Christ was not enough. That the Son of God dying for your sins, the eternal God was not enough. And let me tell you, it was enough, more than enough to cover all your sins. See, this is why God's word says this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Amen? Listen, as far as the east is from the west, he takes our sin away from us. He forgives you of all of your sin. And so listen, it's time for you to come and experience that. If you've never tasted forgiveness, this is the time for you to come. In a few moments, we're going to stand up. We're going to sing that song that we sang before I came up here. And as we sing, listen, if you are someone who's already a believer in Christ, who you've already tasted what forgiveness of sin is, man, I pray that as you sing, you thank God that you've been forgiven. Amen? That regardless of what's happening in your life right now, you have peace with God. You know you're good with God and that your future's secured. And so I pray that you treasure that as you sing, that you know, wow, my sins are forgiven. And maybe perhaps you're someone who is a believer in Christ. You have been technically forgiven when you came to know him, but you're still not living in that forgiveness. You're still carrying that in the back right now. All that sin, that one thing you did that you can't believe you did, you're still carrying it. And you're not experiencing the blessing, the healing that comes from forgiveness. It's time for you to come and leave that before the Lord. It's time for you to say, you know what, i got to leave that before the Lord. I've been forgiven. I need to move past that. And maybe you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ. And you've never experienced forgiveness. You don't know what it means to have a relationship with God. I pray that as we start singing this song, that God starts drawing you closer to Him. That He convicts you and you start coming before Him and you start confessing your sins before Him. So let's all do it. Let's all stand up at all campuses together. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing this song together. I pray that it ministers to you. Father God, we come before you, O Lord. And Father, your arms are open wide. Lord, we are burdened with sin. We come before you. We confess that sin. And Father, help us to experience it, Lord. As we sing this song, Lord, minister to us like only you can. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing together, family.
listen, perhaps right now before we leave, let me just speak to some of us here today because maybe perhaps if you listen to this teaching or even singing that song, you've realized that you need forgiveness of sin, that you don't have a relationship with God. And so you're probably wondering, Omar, how do you start this relationship? And we always tell you, it's not about coming to church. It's not about you physically being here. It's not about a ritual, a tradition you did when you were a child. It's nothing like that. The way that you're able to experience forgiveness of, 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 of sin, the Bible says that when you come before him, you confess your sin, and you put your trust and your faith in Christ, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the Bible says that he forgives you of all of your sin. But you have to come in faith. You have to come and surrender your life to the Lord. And so if that's you, listen, I want to lead you through a prayer. And I always remind you, listen, when I lead you through prayer like this, it's just me helping you talk to your Heavenly Father. So when you pray, listen, you don't pray to me. You don't pray to me. You pray, I'm just only a man. I cannot do anything for you. But you pray this to the Lord who loves you, who gave his life for you, and is waiting for you right now. So if that's you, with all bowed, bowed head, you know, with our eyes closed, let's pray. And if you're that person, you pray this along with me. And if you're not, if you're already saved, you pray for those people around you that are praying that prayer. So pray this with me. Father, today I realize that my greatest need is to be forgiven of my sins. And so I come before you when I confess those sins before you. I ask you for forgiveness of sin. And I put my trust and my faith in you. Oh, Lord. Give me everlasting life. Make me your son and daughter. And for the rest of my life, Lord, help me to live a life that honors you. Thank you, God, that you have forgiven me. I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people say, amen. amen.